You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the L.A. International Church of Christ family of churches, worshiping God in L.A. since 1989. Good morning, West Side. It is uh, so nice to be with you. Um, My family and I have been uh, worshiping with you online for the past few weeks, and I only get to see the stage, so it's nice to be able to see all of you today. Um, we've had an amazing weekend here in, uh, in LA. Thank you so much for inviting us out. Um, it's just been so good just to get to meet some of you, spend time with you, see your beautiful city and, uh, this amazing part of the world. Thank you, Steve and Carrie. I've really enjoyed, yeah, our time with you especially. Um, so my kids and I, uh, even though you can hear my English accent, um, I'm actually, uh, we are dual citizens. So my dad is, uh, my dad was American. He sadly passed away a few years ago. And my mom is English. So, um, so we are citizens of two countries, of the UK and also of the US. We have two passports, two sets of taxes to pay, unfortunately. Um, two embassies to choose from if ever we're in trouble. Two elections to vote in and the freedom to live in two places. But you know, as Christians, the Bible tells us that we are dual citizens as well. You see, we live in this world, but we're citizens in the world, but not of the world. Because in fact, we are citizens of heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. And while we may live in this world for now, with its laws to follow, taxes to pay, this world really isn't our home. You see, the Bible says, as uh, we heard from Steve last week, that we, in fact, are people of the kingdom of light. We are citizens in the kingdom of the Son of God. And Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. He says, my kingdom is of another place. And so as Christians, our primary citizenship is not in the UK or in the US, but it is citizens of the kingdom of light. And that's an amazing thing to have citizenship in. Let us pray. Almighty Father, we are so grateful to be your children. Thank you that you have rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of your Son. We pray today that you will please speak to our hearts, stir our souls, encourage our spirits, and lift up our minds to you as we go out and live in this world. Help us, Father, to be ambassadors of that kingdom as we live our lives here in this earthly realm. We thank you, we praise you for Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. So, in case you haven't noticed, as Christians in a foreign land, it can feel a little bit difficult sometimes. You can feel like you don't quite fit in. And the Apostle Paul in Philippians, he said, in fact, I would much rather go to my kingdom to to, to God's kingdom, but God's not taking me there just yet. And maybe it's because I've still got things to do here on earth. You see, and until our time comes, when we are in the kingdom of light, 
we've got two responsibilities to do. The first one is that we have to be the salt of this earth. And secondly, we are to be a light of the world. And so we're going to look at those two things today. So Jesus says that we, you, me, we are the salt of the earth. Well, let's take a look at what that means. I really like this translation. I don't like the message translation that much, but this reads really well. It says, let me tell you why you are here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? Isn't that awesome? The message is quite good for this one verse, maybe. But that's a great verse. I love how it puts it. You see, the main function for us as Christians is to, is to bring out the flavor of God in the world. And if you think about what salt does, isn't that what it does? It brings out the flavor of the food. It doesn't add anything, any new flavors to the food. It brings out the flavor. I found this image online. This is by an artist. And as you can see, we have God shaking out the salt cellar. And there is us Christians kind of being parachuted down onto earth, filling the earth with joy, with peace, with love, forgiveness, mercy. That's our responsibility to do those things. Um, can you... My kids, we used to go to Trader Joe's, right? And they would, you know where they would head to straight away? The sample section in the corner. And it's almost like the people would see them coming and knew that that's where they were going to, to get the free samples in Trader Joe's. And why do they have those in the supermarkets? So you can get a little bit of a taste in the hope that you might buy later on. And you'll think, oh, that tasted so good. I think I'm going to buy that. And you would never ordinarily buy that thing. But just because you've had a sample, because you've had a taste, you end up buying it. That's who we are. We are God's sampling corner in the back of Trader Joe's. That's who we are. That's our responsibility. See, Jesus expects that in our interactions with co-workers, with family members, with friends, with neighbors, with complete strangers, that we help them to sample a little taste of God. That we might be there, him sprinkling them with joy and patience in the face of trials, with love and forgiveness in response to hate, with kindness and compassion when others are mean, with holiness and righteousness, when the world all around us is in moral decay, with godliness and faithfulness, when atheism and no religion is on the rise. You see, our world is a hurting place. Our world is definitely in need of some seasoning. And that's who we are. We are the seasoning of God on this earth. And so God wants us to go around with these godly virtues that we see in this picture, which, by the way, 
are the same godly virtues that we see in the Beatitudes just before this passage. So Jesus is saying, listen, you're the salt of the earth and you just need to go around putting those Beatitudes into practice and you've done your job. I love that because where's the pressure in us doing that? Just simply living out the characteristics of godliness in the world around us. Now we know, as I said, that salt is used to flavor food. We also know that salt was used in years gone by to stop food from going bad. But I just discovered this, that actually NASA found out that salt has been used by people in the Dead Sea area for thousands of years as a fertilizer dating all the way back to ancient Egypt. And even the local farmers today, they take salt from the Dead Sea and they spread it all over the ground so their crops will grow. And if you think about salt as a fertilizer, it is scattered on the ground, it kills the weeds, the bad stuff, it nourishes the ground, seeds are sown, the ground is cleared, it becomes healthy, And it goes on to produce an incredible crop, a healthy crop. So when Jesus says, we are the salt of the earth, another way to look at it is that we are the fertilizer of the earth. Think about the parable of the sower in Matthew 13. It begins to make sense. God is the farmer. He sows his seeds in ways, in places, at times that we might never know or never see. Some seed is eaten by birds, some falls on the rocky ground, some is choked by thorns, but look what it says. Other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop a hundred or sixty or thirty times what was sown. Think about it. How did that soil get healthy? What does fertilizer do? It makes the soil, the ground, healthy. Who is the fertilizer? Us. And so that kind interaction that you had with a store worker, you were making the ground healthy. The prayers that you said you would pray for that family member, and you did, you were making the ground healthy. The neighbor you invited to church, but they weren't able to make it. The patient way you dealt with a student, come on teachers, or the way you dealt with a teacher, come on students, at school, the way you dealt with a co-worker at work, all of those things are us fertilizing the ground. Because sometimes people will say to you, you know what, I was so impressed with the way that you handled that. And we could say, oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Yeah, I'm just trying to be a good person. Or you could say, I'm a Christian. And the Bible tells me this is how I should interact with people. And then you give glory to God and you have been used by God to fertilize the ground. You see, we may not even see how we've been fertilizing the ground. We may not even notice the impact that we're actually making. But you see, that's not our role. That's what God does. You see, the Bible says that it's God who makes things grow. But what does he want us to do? Fertilize the ground. You know, when we were in, um, in Knoxville, Tennessee, I, uh, I got a call from one of the brothers in Glasgow, Scotland, which is where we used to be. 
he said, CJ, there's this guy who, who has just got baptized and he said that he was reached out by you like two years ago. And so I was like, I couldn't even remember reaching out to this guy. I think it was just a random conversation. He, you know, I think I got his number. He never responded. Um, but apparently he had thought about God ever since our conversation. And then he ended up getting in contact with the church, going along, studying the Bible and becoming a Christian. Nothing to do with me. All I did was, was, was fertilize the ground for God to sow the seeds and God made it grow. That's how God wants to work. That's how God uses us. It's so refreshing when we see it that way. Because Jesus actually said, you will reap or others will reap where you have not sown. And can you imagine if all of us are just going around, fertilizing the ground, having these amazing conversations with people with no expectation other than I'm spreading godliness. And then God does the rest and God does his work. And we see that incredible things happen. Who gets the glory? It's God who gets the glory. It's God who gets the glory. You see, that perspective for me is so faith-building. Because it's so easy to get discouraged when we don't see the results. But what is the result? You don't see it. It's in the ground. You don't see what God is doing. And that's a good thing. Our only part is what we have to do is to remain salty and he will do the rest. Secondly and briefly, we are to be the light of the world. You know, in in John 9, Jesus says, that he is the light of the world. And we all get that, right? We look at Jesus and we say, of course you're the light of the world, Jesus. That makes complete sense. But in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says to, to us, he says, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. But didn't Jesus just say that he was the light of the world? Now he's saying that we are the light of the world. Jesus, I think you've made a typo in the Bible. Because if you knew who I was, then surely I cannot be the light of the world. But Jesus says, no, 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 don't worry about that. I called you out of the kingdom of, out of the the dominion of darkness, into the dominion of light. I've got incredible plans for you. Go and be my light. You see, as I said, I think that the light of the world is, sorry, the salt of the earth is connected to all the Beatitudes and us living out those. I believe that the light of the world part is putting into practice the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. It's the way that we live out our relationships with one another. It's the way that we deal with people that we come in contact with. It's all of those incredible teachings, and I don't have time to go through all of those today. But what a great quiet time that could be for you, to look at how to put those things into practice. You see, if we live out Jesus' teachings in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, we can't help but shine. Cherie's going to come up and share. Yes, I've come to shine. Um, Yes, thank you so much, everyone, for having us come out. We have just had the best of times with you all. 
We just thank you for your love, for your encouragement. And um, yes, of course, for the teachers, as you know, CJ and I both work as teachers as well. And what we love about the U.S. is they actually have a whole week or well, a couple of times in the year where they actually appreciate the teachers. And I know a lot of the parents really appreciated the teachers during lockdown. I know people were like, we really appreciate what you do. You're amazing. And I think it's true, you know, because the, the teachers are the ones who really inspire the next generation. Um, but what I, I have to put my glasses on now. Um, but yes, as Christians, we are called to shine. And, um, and what Jesus calls us to be is really countercultural, isn't it? And um, for us, we are called to be, to treat people the way we like to be treated. You know, not treat people the way we think they should be treated. And I think it is within our relationships that Jesus really wants us to shine. And I think, um, you know, that, oh, the, the old saying, and people, I think you have those wristbands, what would Jesus do? You know, and, and just taking that a step further, well, what would Jesus do? But what would he say? What would he think? How, what would he um, do in response to this act? How would he feel and how would he respond? And I think that is something that really will help us to shine in this world. And of course, like as CJ said, you know, how we treat our co-workers, how we treat our um, strangers, how we treat friends but really also how we treat one another. And I think for us as Christians, you know, we know, because we know that this is, uh, the church is amazing, but it's also a place where we have a lot of flawed people. Hands up if you're not flawed. I really want to know who you are, okay? So we're all flawed, but we all come together, and yet somehow we expect it to be perfect, like heaven, okay? And so we're like, oh, this conflict. Okay, and any of us, we talk about it with our children. I can't even remember who we're talking about. We're talking about when, you know, our boys, we love our boys, and I think they're listening. Sorry, boys. Um, but, you know, um, it breaks my heart. You know, when they're not kind to one another, you're like, be nice, you know. Don't be mean. And, you know, and we were talking, I can't remember who it was, but the same when you're in the car, and you're like, don't look at each other. You look out that window. You look out that window. Don't say a word. Don't breathe. You know, just be quiet you know and and I think it is you know we just forget the conflict that we have in a family but the church is a family so we are going to have conflict and I know we don't like it a few people love it um but you know really it's always hard and so I think you know yeah how would Jesus respond to conflict so I want to just share briefly um about uh, my time of uh, a really challenging time in my life um so I, as you know, I think I shared that I became a Christian in 1989, um, when I was like 11, I'll say, no. So, you know, I uh, became a Christian in 1989 and in Manchester, England. And then after 11 years of, you know, I went to university, I worked, and then I was called to go and work in the ministry in London where I met CJ, we got married, God is good. So, um, but, so I was in the ministry, really excited, zealous, like, woohoo, we're going to do this. And then, interestingly, a, a friendship that I had really soured during those years. Um, so that was around 2001, 2002. And it got to the point where we were getting together with the women's ministry leader, we'd get together with the sector leaders, we'd get together with a group, we got together with the elders and, you know, the evangelists and then the shepherding group, and it was just a really challenging situation. And then we kind of thought, okay, it's resolved, we're going to move on. And then 
2003 happened. For those of you who don't remember that, it's okay. <laughs> We're not going to talk about it. But, you know, it was a really difficult time for us. Um, and CJ and I, uh, we were in the ministry at the time. So, of course, all of the London staff, you know, lost their jobs. So no longer. And also a few, we were, there was eight of us and staff in the south. And CJ and I were the only ones who were left. So we were there trying to encourage the brothers and sisters and stay faithful and keep our faith intact, but try to encourage those who were sticking around. Um, but even after this, you know, we were trying to do things. Um, there was just still unresolved issues with this sister. And so from time to time, I'd try and talk to her. We'd have her, her and her husband over when they had a baby. We took food over, you know, just trying to do what was right, to be encouraging, to be godly, to try and heal that rift. Because I'm not a people pleaser, but I don't know. I, if I know someone's not happy with me, I want to sort it. I want to get to the bottom of it so we can move on and be friends. But if not friends, but let's, let's just move on. And so I just found it really, really difficult that we weren't getting anywhere. And I think so this was, this is even 2008, still not resolved, okay? So I remember at this time, I was talking to my really good friend. You know, you've got these really awesome friends. You know, it's like you've got these kind-hearted, good people. And I was like, right, I've had it. I'm going to tell his sister what I think. I'm going to do this. I'm going to say this. I'm going to say that. I'm going to just, oh. And my friend was like, okay, Cherie, how will that help her? How, you know, what benefit would that be to her? I was like, mm. And then so I went to another friend thinking, okay, itching his. And my other friend said, well, Cherie, okay, Let's think about it. Hurt people, hurt people. So, you know, and we were thinking about it because, um, unfortunately, the people, some of the people, not all, weren't really helping her. Um, so, so, for example, I'd, I'd like to think for most of us, if I was to go home and moan about someone or say something or do something that wasn't right or not very godly, I'd like to think that CJ would be like, Okay, I hear you. Okay, but let's talk about it. Is that the right way? Is that what Jesus would do? Is that what Jesus wants you? Is that helpful for you to keep thinking this way? You know, because obviously he loves me and he wants the best for me. And if I was to say it to one of my friends, they would, in love, be patient, but try and guide me towards the scriptures, towards what's right. You know, not what pleases others, but what pleases God. And so my friend was like, well, do you think this person has that? And I was like, well, no. And so I thought, okay, I'm not going to tell what I think. Uh, I'll just pray, <laughs> you know, because I thought, well, what would I do? I would want someone to pray for me, and I would want, you know, um, so I thought, well, do to others as you'd have them do to you. Okay, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to let it go, because I could feel that bitter root growing in my heart. You know, like when you hear their name, resentment, or pit in your stomach, and I don't know if anybody else has that feeling, but, you know, it really troubles you, troubles your soul, because you know that's not what we're supposed to be like. And so, anyway, so years went by, and we moved, obviously, to Knoxville. Oh, Ryan, I love your sharing. I don't like the toenail bit. You should have kept that quiet. Um, but, you know, we were in Knoxville, had an incredible time. We were in Glasgow before that. Incredible time, faith-building time for us, just really encouraging. And as you know, we moved back to the UK to um, take care of CJ's mom. So, back in the UK, this is about 2016. So, this is... 15 years after this relationship with this sister and I had, you know, sort of soured. Um, and, and like over the years when we saw each other, it'd be nice. It'd be like, hi, how are you? How are you? But do you know, you just never that resolution. Because even over the years when I try, I try, let's get together, let's talk. She's like, no, I've forgiven you. It's okay. I'd be like, forgive me of what? What have I done? What, you know? <laughs> so like, it's nice that you've forgiven me, but I'd like to know what I did, you know, so I can really understand myself. 
But um, so anyway, I got a text. This was like we were back in the UK. This sister's in critical condition. Please pray for her. You know, she was in intensive care. And so, of course, you pray. You know, if you get a a request like that, you pray. And then the following year, we were at um, a women's tree in London. And so I was there. I was chatting away with one of my really good friends. We were catching up. And then the sister comes up to me and says, hi, Sheree. I thought, hi. She said, Sheree, I almost died. And I said, I know. I prayed for you. And then she, just out of the blue, it's funny because my really good friend was standing there and then she just edged away. Because this, this sister just starts crying and heartfelt, I am so sorry for what I did and what I said and what I've done. I'm so sorry. And what was amazing about this, because, you know, even... When you think about it, when there is a conflict, you know, and I think you, you see it in your children, you know, even if one starts it, the other can get dragged in. And so there ends up being sin on both sides, you know. And so I was like, oh, my gosh. And when she said that, I just saw her face change. She just looked radiant. Be- she's beautiful anyway, but she just looked gorgeous. And she was crying, but her skin was glowing. It was like the veil had been lifted the sin had been taken away. The thing that had been oppressing her for years, she just let go. And I said to her, oh, my gosh, thank you. But I said, I'm so happy for you because I can see you. You, you, just, you just look so great and you look so happy and I'm really happy. And I think why I was happy too was I think had she apologized all those years ago, I'd have been like, yeah, why are you apologizing? Uh, no, you've not apologized for it. You don't mean, I don't think I would have been as gracious. I don't think I would have accepted it. And I don't think there would have been reconciliation. But instead of it being this way around, it would be her saying, oh, he's not resolved. So I just think, you know, I know it's difficult because like 15 years is a long time. But I also know that um, when we hold on to that bitter root, because I had moved on because I had to really pray. Like I say, I wasn't innocent, but I really prayed that I wouldn't get a bitter heart. But then I saw, I had moved on, and my life, you know, like I say, the fantastic times I had in Knoxville and Glasgow, and God has just really blessed our lives. But I'd seen it was different for her because she had held on to so much bitterness. And so to see her set free was incredible. And so thinking on that, I want to say, obviously, you know, some things take time. We can't get over things sometimes just like that, like, I'm sorry, okay, bye. And, you know, sometimes it does take time to work through. But, and we know that conflict will happen, I'm sure. A lot of you have been around for a long time. And those of you who have been around for a short time, I'm sure there's misunderstandings, miscommunications, it happens. But I thought, imagine, though, if both of us had been really quick to really think, well, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus say? How would Jesus respond? How would he act? How would he pray? What would he pray? What would he say? But also, why would he take this action? And you know the action is because he wants the best. Or, in this case for me, but for her, he wants the best for all of us. And so I think even that, well, that's the reason, that's the reason, that's the why. And so, thank you so much for listening. And I'll hand over back to my husband.
So there's an incredible scripture in First uh, Peter chapter two, just as we finish off. Oh, there are all the pa- there are all the teachings from the Sermon on the Mount, by the way. Okay, so all the things you can look out for as you have your quiet time. So it says. So Peter tells the Christians, and he says, "Dear friends, dear citizens of the kingdom of light, I urge you as strangers and temporary residents." To abstain from fleshly desires that war against you. In other words, remain salty. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles. Sprinkle them with godliness and goodness whenever you can. So that in case they speak against you as those who do evil, they will, by observing your good works, seeing your light shine, glorify God on the day of his visitation. This is all about God. All about him. But let's take our responsibility to task this week, this month, this year. Because it's a nice one. It's nice to make things taste good. And that's all we've been called to do. Amen. Thanks for listening. You just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.